This morning we are concluding our sermon series 316. Believe it or not, next Sunday is going to begin the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, What we've been doing the last five weeks is taking a deep dive on verses in the New Testament that have the citation 316, and uh, we've been challenged to uh, memorize them. And I've started every worship service off, checking in, seeing how we're doing uh, with the memory work. So uh, let's do that again. I'll get us started, and we'll just see if we can keep going as a congregation together. We began five weeks ago with Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. How? With all wisdom. And as you sing... And spiritual songs with what in your heart? Gratitude in your heart to God. Good job. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and God's Spirit lives in you. Don't y'all know, remember this one is speaking to all of us, don't y'all know that you are God's temple? And then last week we came to the one that we love, John 3.16, for God that he gave, that whoever would not but have great job. So Today, we're going to turn to 1 John 3.16, so it's the same author of John 3.16. Now he's writing a letter, 1 John uh, 3.16, and uh, as we prepare to look at that, join me as we pray for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Father God, we pray that uh, we all might be good soil as we receive the, the seed of your Word. We ask that you would plant it in our hearts, that you would produce the the harvest that only you can produce. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 John 3.16, it actually is going to have some parallels with John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this, this is how we know what love is, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm not sure if there is any other occasion in Scripture where the word and has more significance than this one. Imagine if the verse ended after us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That by itself would be an incredible verse, a majestic verse, an awesome verse, a a verse worth memorizing. If that's where the verse ended, then the invitation for us as we look at this scripture would be to understand what love is through the lens of Jesus Christ sacrificial death on the cross. It'd be the invitation for us to do a Bible study, to figure it out. And so what would we conclude if love is best encapsulated 
by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, well, then we would say love is sacrificial. Love sacrifices. Love is other-centered. Love, as we said last week, is a verb. Love takes action, requires action. Love is radical. Love goes the extra mile. Love turns the cheek. Love is extended even to enemies. Love is given freely, but it costs greatly. This verse gives us a lot to unpack regarding love. God the Father, as we memorized last week, demonstrated love by giving his son. And this week we see Jesus demonstrating love by voluntarily laying down his life on our behalf. And so how should we respond to that? Well, as we've done this morning, a proper response is worship. Is he worthy? He is. Oh, worship the king, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. This knowledge of God's love compels us to worship him. It compels us to give thanks and praise, for he's worthy of our thanks and praise. If the verse ended after the word us, we might conclude that that is the only application, that a song of praise or a prayer of thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, an in-depth Bible study about the meaning of love so that we understand how loved we are by the Father and by the Son. But the verse doesn't end there. And, and, three-letter word, such a powerful word. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This just got real. Hopefully, our worship this morning is music to God's ears. But God wants more from us than a song. Hopefully our attitude of gratitude, this week of thanksgiving, our prayers of thanksgiving, hopefully those bring glory to God. But he wants more than an attitude of gratitude. Hopefully our knowledge of what God the Father and God the Son has done for us results in our living in the assurance of his love, secure in his love. But God wants more from us than just to be secure in his love. And we ought to love our brothers and sisters. This uh, letter from John, the apostle, is not written to one specific church. It's written to a a group of churches, a collection of churches, and it is apparent that all of these churches that John is writing this letter to, they're struggling with some similar issues. And so if you read through all of 1 John, you're going to see that he's addressing some specific issues. People in these churches had a, a Greek heritage, a Greek background, And one of the convictions in Greek thought was that the the body, the flesh, is inherently evil, physical matter is evil, and, and the spirit is inherently good. This stemmed all the way back from the philosopher Plato. 
And so you can see if they have this conviction that the body is inherently evil and the spirit is inherently good, that it would lead to some confusion about Jesus. Like, how is it possible that, that Jesus, the Son of God, his spirit, would become flesh? That's just impossible. And so they came up with all kinds of theories to, to describe what had happened. He didn't really become human. It just seemed like he was a human. Or, or he only became human for a brief second on the cross, and then, then he left his humanity. And so they had all of this confusion about Jesus, which morphed into confusion about who they were. The Greeks, as we've talked before, they prided themselves on knowledge. Knowledge for them was the, the way that they escaped the body and dwelled in the spirit, kind of this hyper-spiritualism. Uh, and so they, they were so proud of their knowledge. They, they got fat on knowledge. But when it came to action, they were emaciated. They were know-it-alls, but they were do-nothings. They liked to talk about it, but they didn't get into action. And so John writes this letter to the church with these understandings. In chapter 2, he begins to build his case regarding Christianity, that Christianity is a faith that requires action. Christianity is not just a faith that we can get together and talk about. It's not a philosophy. It's not a, a, a theory. It is something that requires hands-on action. In chapter 2, he writes, we know that we've come to know him if, if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is made complete in him. Listen to this. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus did. This is how we know whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. If John had the technology available to him, I think when he sent this letter out, he would have included a couple hundred WWJD bracelets. You know, this is back to the idea of what would Jesus do? Whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked, must serve as Jesus served, and must love as Jesus loved. John goes on in chapter 3 to use even more powerful language. Listen to this, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. That's pretty stark. That's pretty black and white. There's not a lot of nuance to that statement. If you do not love your brother, your sister in Christ, you are not a child of God. That ought to cause us to pause just a little bit. John can't put it any more plainly. As fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, over and over again, God's word says that we are brothers and sisters. This is the language of family. We are a family. And what we shouldn't do is just throw that into the category of metaphor too quickly. Well, we're not really brothers and sisters. This is just a metaphor. 
I'm not so sure. I think the scripture speaks about brothers and sisters so much that this is more than metaphor. We really are brother and sister to one another in the same way that you are brother and sister in a, in a family. And so what that means is that loving one another is not optional. It's not optional. We don't get, have an invitation to self-select who it is in the family that we want to love and who we don't want to love. I don't just get to love the brothers and sisters who I have more of an affinity with and not love those that I don't. Now, as you know, as we all know, some family members for us are easier to love than others. Some of you have come from large families and, and you've experienced this. Maybe you have a, a favorite sibling. I came from a, a family, I have a family with one sister, so she is my favorite sister and my, my least favorite sister all at the same time. We don't get to choose. Well, it's one thing to say, okay, we must love one another. It's easy to say, but what does that really mean? And this is where our verse comes back to the surface. It tells us what it means. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So all the things that we just said about Jesus' love for us, those are the same things that are to describe our love for one another. Love is sacrificial. We are called to love one another sacrificially. Love is other-centered. Love considers the needs of others as well as your own needs. Love's a verb. Love acts for the sake of the other. Love gives for the sake of the other. Love suffers for the sake of the other. Love's radical. It goes the extra mile, it turns the cheek, it is even extended to those who we might consider enemies. Love's given freely, but it costs greatly. This is how Jesus loved us, and he says this is how you are to love one another. John wanted to make sure that uh, the congregations to whom he was writing, that they actually got this, because what they were... Uh, prone to do was taking this letter and like, let's just dive into it and, and study it and, and parse it and, and boost our knowledge about it, but, but are we ever going to actually do something about it? And so he continues in verse 17, like, let's make this really practical. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. When a family member has a material need, love gets really practical. All the spoken I love you's in the world don't meet that material need. And what I've learned about myself and I see it in others is that we can become masters of using our words very cleverly to masquerade as love, to look like love, but they're really intended to keep us from having to love. James actually gives us a wonderful example of this, and it was what our children's sermon was. James chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, 
And if one of you says to him, now notice how, how godly these words sound. Go, I wish you well. Keep warm. Be well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs? What good is it? Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. There's a time when thoughts and prayers is the most loving thing that we know how to do, that we're able to do. And there's a time when thoughts and prayers are just an excuse not to love, as Jesus has commanded us. Uh, a number of years back, it was a, a Sunday that I was on vacation, but we were here in Fulton, so we decided to go to a, another church, um, just experience another worship service. We went to a church in Clinton and um, came in, and the pastor got up to start the worship service and greeted us so enthusiastically, very warmly. God loves you, and so do I, he said with a big smile on his face, and it was great. And, and then he said, turn to a neighbor and tell him, God loves you, and so do I. Some people really dig that. Not me. I shot up a quick prayer of desperation. Oh, Lord, please no. <laughs> but within about a second or two, the person in front of me turned around and bright-eyed, God loves you, and so do I. And, and all the thoughts are going through my mind. What can I say? I don't want to lie in church. I said, God loves you, and tried to make a joke, and I don't know you. And, and it was a little awkward. I have since thought about that, thought about um, why, why I was so uncomfortable and what is the appropriate thing to do there. And on one hand, I think the pastor is absolutely right. We are called to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what makes our fellowship so powerful. You are loved right out of the gate. I mean, you don't have to earn your keep as a family member. You don't have to prove yourself as a brother or sister as a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a brother and sister. And so that demands love right out, off the bat, loved immediately. So that's true. What's also true is that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to know one another. We're called to know one another. Jesus Christ didn't just lay his life down for a vast crowd of nameless, faceless people said, Jesus laid down his life for us, for me, for you. His love is a personal love. We're called to love one another as brothers and sisters in an up-close, personal way. Love from a distance, as maybe you've experienced, it can feel cold. It can feel like not love. This is precisely why Jesus became one of us, became a human being so that he could love us up close and personal, that he could show us the fullness of his love by laying down his life for us. So hear the word once again that, that we're going to work on memorizing this week, even though the series has ended. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Join me as we pray. Uh, Lord, such love pushes us beyond um, the, the boundaries of our, our comfort. Um, Lord, we pray that you would do a, a work in each of us, 
Lord, uh, grow our capacity to love, grow our courage to love, our willingness to love. Lord, and uh, we do thank you for your, for your love. You laid down your life for us. We celebrate you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.